0: Welcome to HyperGen Sales Leaders Podcast, the show that equips you with the cutting edge strategies, wisdom, and inspiration to become a top-notch sales leader in today's ever-evolving business landscape. I'm your host, John Mansour, and each episode will bring you in-depth conversations with sales trailblazers, industry experts, and thought leaders who have mastered the art of leadership and revenue generation. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting your journey, join us as we unlock the secrets to sales success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to HyperGen Sales Leaders Podcast. Joining me today from Austin, Texas is Crystal Germont. She is the VP of Sales for AssetWorks. They are a company that builds integrated software solutions to help organizations make data-backed decisions to achieve, optimize, drive all of their goals. Uh, Crystal, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on. We would be curious to hear for myself and our listenership just a little bit more about your background. Specifically why sales? Did you yeah. choose a career in sales or was it a little bit more serendipitous?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I would say it's in the middle between serendipity and choosing it. I know it's a kind of a little cliche, but I really do believe and in my career have always worked in sales in some capacity. We are all in sales in some capacity. Very early on in my career, I actually worked in retail, a boutique retail management. This was before the great recession when there were more boutique retail. So running boutique retail stores and running retail stores um, is an, was an experience that has definitely informed my career now in technology. And I don't think is something that we talk enough about experience in sales that is outside of maybe the current industry where we work. So that was my start in curating not only the experience of those stores, but most importantly, the clientele, the relationship with the clientele. It was pretty much consultative sales, not just like a, what brings you in today, but where are you at in your life? What are you looking for? What are you looking to represent to the world? It was mostly clothing stores. So that was my basis in sales, this consultative retail sales model. And then wanted to go into more of a high paying kind of steady job in industry, especially after the recession was in Boston, Massachusetts at the time. So a lot of retail, independent retail was closing down and I became an entrepreneur. I had a makeup artistry business and then eventually found my way into marketing, actually marketing, branding, and PR. And that's actually where I spent most of my career is in marketing, branding, and PR had a PR marketing firm and being the principal at a firm, you are the head salesperson selling your firm, selling your brand, selling your team. And yeah, just transitioned that experience into where I am today, which is software and, and particularly SaaS enterprise software. My main focus has been building brands, and it's always been an interest of mine to lead sales. We actually have a really interesting conversation happening among my colleagues. And AssetWorks and other businesses under our parent company, Valeris, about where sales should sit. Should it sit next to marketing, under marketing? Should it lead marketing? And I'm an example of someone who's a marketing leader who is now in a sales role leading sales. And for us, it's working, it's really working well. The level of integration we're able to have and the level of insight we can have through that collaboration into our prospects and customers has generated a lot of growth for us. It's a new model that we are testing, but so far it's been working really well.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And I I guess maybe you could just explain a little bit more about Assetworks in general and your day-to-day.
1: Yeah. So Assetworks is an enterprise SaaS company. We're a vertically focused um, enterprise SaaS software company. We have a few different logos underneath the umbrella Assetworks, the largest of which is Assetworks Fleet. That's not the division I lead. My colleague uh, Jacqueline leads that division. She's also a sales marketing leader. So she's an example of a marketer that's running the sales team as well. And I lead the asset management division. When I came to Assetworks, we had seven legacy software brands, and we worked to consolidate that down into five our company also grows through mergers and acquisitions so we actually had an acquisition when i started of a company called equip which we folded into our business so it's been a pretty challenging interesting environment to to lead because with all of these different verticals and like i said seven software brands with their many personas underneath it it's a day to day orchestration to figure out where are we getting momentum where are we seeing the profitability and where to calibrate our efforts.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know just our listenership would be interested with that said, what strategies have you found to be the most effective for obviously generating new leads, but also just closing deals as well, optimizing the entire lead flow, lead to close process? Yeah. What have you found works best? Trial and error, successes, failures, would love to hear.
1: Yeah, So something that that I'm really passionate about because I've come from a marketing background is a few things, which is uh, they sound kind of esoteric, but I promise you they relate, which is like not to make decisions based on fear, i.e. taking some risks to not ask our prospects or our customers for anything before we're willing to provide some value to them and then empathy. So how we roll that into our sales model and our sales strategy is that we have a heavy focus on building relationships with not just key stakeholders, but the influencers in our current accounts, because we are vertically focused. There's only so many logos that we can go after. And it's a small industry, particularly the one that um, I spend the most time on, is Equip, which is a software product for government property managers who work in defense industry and who have contracts with the federal government where they might acquire some federally owned property. Our software helps them manage that property and it keeps them compliant. So that's a pretty small industry. It's very niche. And we've seen many of our best customers move between businesses as their career progresses. So we're always thinking about how do we deliver value to them early in their career? We work really hard in our prospecting to identify the future leaders, the future decision makers, A lot of times when we are really focused on a short-term goal, like closing a quarter, we focus at the bottom of the funnel and the people who are ready to say yes, who are in commit. And of course we should be doing that, but that shouldn't be the majority of our time. The 90% of the market isn't ready to buy it. 10% of the market's ready to buy it. I think that was a Gartner study about a year ago. So we hold ourselves to this discipline of not focusing on the 10%, but on the 90%. And a lot of those 90% are folks who are up and coming in their career, who maybe are listening to podcasts like this, like they're trying to achieve personal growth. They're getting their certifications. They're networking. They're doing really good work. They might not be the person that holds the budgetary decision today, but maybe in that next job transition, when they go to their next role, they will be. So we look for those people. We build our relationships with those folks. We give them value first. What do they need from us? Can we help them figure out what is changing in the industry? How do they need to stay compliant? Do they do they have? Do they need advice for a solution that's not ours? And we're really transparent about that. We want to help you because, of course, we want you to use our product, but we also we want you to be successful in your role. Like helping you helps us. Um, and so that's been a really successful strategy for us. It's a long tail strategy. It again involves coordination between marketing and sales to follow those folks through with the sales touch points and the marketing touch points. Um, but what we find is that as those people advance in their career, when they do get that budget budgetary decision, when they do get to sign and accept that quote, they come to us, we've already built the relationship. So that's just kind of one example and one thread, but that's what I want to implore. everybody: is like, focus on the 90% of the market. That's not willing to buy.
0: Yeah, and no, that- that's <laughs> absolutely. That's an excellent point And leads into the next question I was going to ask. And you did touch on it a little bit. Just how do you stay up to date on various in- industry tre- uh, trends, changes? And then more importantly, how do you incorporate that knowledge into your sales strategy, like on the fly, real-time adaptation?
1: Yeah. It's really the more I have found that as my leadership position has grown with more responsibility and more people that report to me, the harder it gets to stay. It's ironic, the harder it gets to stay like in the know about what's happening. So of course, always want to not assume that I have the right answer, but go seeking. So honestly, podcasts, that's why I was excited to be here with you. Podcasts are my favorite. I listen to podcasts all the time while I work, while I drive, while I wind down at night. Just the I'm an auditory learner. Listening to people have conversations like this is how I learn. And then if I can't, if I have the time connecting with people in my network, people I've worked with a while ago, asking people, hey, this is a challenge I'm having right now. Do you know anybody that I could talk to about this? I don't really think there's anything better than, especially after COVID, now that we can see people again in person, just like getting a coffee, sitting down, doing something casual and just having a conversation with someone, the opportunity to have that give and take and ask questions to me really has been the most valuable. And even if it's a casual thing, we check in once every few years. That's where I've learned the most. But again, it's not just asking people for when you want the help or advice, or when you see them do something cool and they post on LinkedIn, I want to know how you do that but really keeping up with folks and understanding maybe what problems or challenges they're having. How can you help? What insight can you give them? And then naturally I've never had one of those conversations or never went to help someone where I myself didn't learn something at the same time. So I think the give first is something that I really live by and believe in. And I didn't make it up. I was (laughs) taught it early in my career from people that took that approach with me that I benefited from. When you see people do cool things that you want to do, like reaching out and being honest, being vulnerable, hey, I would really like to get to to understand how you did this. Can you LinkedIn message me? Can we chat? Do you live in the same city? Are you going to any meetups I could see you at, like making it Mm -hmm. easy for them? I really go out of my way to put myself out there (laughs) and try to meet people who I think are doing cool things. Sometimes I get rejected, but most of the time I don't and made some great friendships out of it.
0: Amazing. Yeah, those are some really important points you just made there. And I guess one question I like to ask too is just having managed and currently managing various people departments, what Mm -hmm. do you do day to day when things are hot? It's great when things slow down. How do you manage the balance between morale and just getting through the peaks and valleys in that respect?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because that's very relevant to my day right now, John, and my quarter that I've been having right now. We had two quarters of continuous growth, and this is a corner where it's turning a little bit, which is a natural correction. But at the same time, we have to stay on top of that. And when you've had two great successful quarters and your team is on top, it's really easy to feel demotivated quickly. It's such a good question with a hard answer, right? And I am still working on figuring this out. But what I have found works the best so far, what my team has told me they appreciate the most is really just honestly making the time with your team, taking the opportunity, not just like in meetings and planned conversations, but unplanned conversations to just talk with each other. Feel each other out, like how are things going and being honest and direct. I'm getting this feeling that you're feeling demotivated or are you you're like worried or just establishing that relationship where we can talk about this is what's going on with me and this is what I'm noticing. Am I right or am I wrong? Tell me. And then just having those hard conversations, having hard, uncomfortable conversations and getting better and better at having hard, uncomfortable conversations is my secret sauce of leadership especially when it comes to sales leadership, because sales teams are under so much pressure. There's so many relationships and emotions and influence that we're managing at all times. It's not just putting the quote or the deal together. It's not just like paperwork and pushing it through. And a lot of the rest of the organization doesn't always understand this interpersonal and the pressure of that interpersonal relationship that sales brings, even B2B sales. So having hard conversations and asking the questions. It's really easy as a sales leader sometimes to maybe not want to hurt someone's morale or energy or bring them down or just don't want to disempower. But you've got to ask the questions and, and dig in, right? If something's not quite making sense or something's not clear, oh, we say we're going to get this PO in two weeks. Why do we think not just, okay, great. We're going to get the PO in two weeks, but why do we think we're going to get the PO in two weeks? Who said we're going to get the PO in two weeks? What steps does that person have to go through to get that PO to you? Who are they working with, like? Really digging in and asking those questions. Sometimes that's even hard (laughs) because you just want to hear the good news and move on. But if you do that, we're going on blind hope. We're not going on facts. And so for us, with the way we forecast, the way we run our business, we need to go on facts. And I need to really dig in, sit in that uncomfortable space when I know one of my team members maybe doesn't want to, or they don't know the answer. So they don't want to have the conversation because they don't know all the answers. Just having the conversation anyway and saying, "What's okay. We don't know this or this, but let's identify what we know and don't know. And let's talk like ping me tomorrow or the next day when we have more of the answers. That's the best way that I've seen so far.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Really appreciate that point. And it it leads into the next question that just came to mind, actually, just especially pertinent to some of the founder led companies who listen, some of the founders, sales leaders who are looking to expand and grow their team. What are some of the key attributes you look for in team members to scale, obviously revenue, but even just like internal camaraderie, morale, like what's the full scope of attributes you look for in a person?
1: Mm. That's a good question. I was actually just thinking about that on the way on my drive in this morning. I don't work for a founder led company right now. We go through mergers and acquisitions. So we have a lot of changes, very different corporate structure. But I got my start working in founder led companies, working in startups. And I went through a program called Techstars here in Austin Techstars Austin, and they're everywhere. But many of my friends are either founders themselves or working for founder led startups. And it's a personal thing. But as someone who aspired to be a sales leader within an organization what was always most important to me if I was working as the number two as a VP or whatever you want to call it is honestly just that leader's integrity like feeling that you can't have those honest conversations I was talking about if you don't have a level of trust and you don't feel the person has integrity and for me what that means like how you show integrity as a leader is doing what you say you're going to do that's a major thing doing what you say you're going to do. It's very easy when you're in a leadership position, you've got so much going on. You're thinking about so much. You're optimistic, an optimistic, energetic person, charismatic person, like so many founders are to say, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this, or, oh, we're going to do this, or I want to do this. Or when you say that your word carries so much weight, you are the leader, you're the founder. And so you might not be attached to that idea. That might just be one of 50 ideas you have that day. But saying that to your team, they might have trepidation about it. They might have hope. They might get excited. They might get nervous. It carries a weight. And so I'm really intentional about what I say. If I say I'm going to do something or we're going to do something, we're doing it. (laughs) Or if I said I'm going to do something, we're going to do it. Or if I say, I think we should do something, I'm having a serious conversation to evaluate that decision, to not be flippant about what you say you're going to do. But if you say you're going to do something, you do it. And that creates a trust and stability that even if people don't agree with you, they still respect it and understand it. So to me, that means having integrity. I don't think it's something that we do on purpose. When we say we're going to do something and we don't do it, it's more just like, we're busy. We're not paying attention. It's a miscommunication, but I think that's really important to our teams. And especially with us, with sales and sales leads, Your organization, your business is counting on you and counting on your forecast. It's tough, but at least for me, I would rather be accurate in my forecast than go under and exceed it like surprise (laughs) because then that's an opportunity left on the table we didn't plan for or be hopeful and then go under it and then have to make concessions. You're creating so much more work for the rest of your business and the rest of your leadership team. I really strive to have accurate information that our business can trust, go off of, and everyone else can go make decisions off of. So just doing what you say you're going to do to the best extent that you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned just getting caught up in the day-to-day, you get busy, sometimes things slip. Would be curious yeah. to ask, and we always ask everyone who comes on the show, just in terms of how how you structure your own work-life balance as a sales leader yourself, and not just for yourself, but also for your team.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm um, a mother of a (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old. So being a parent of a young child and being in a leadership role is itself like a lot to balance. But um, honestly, it's asking for help when you need help. And I guess I keep going back to this like transparency, trust, relationship building thing. I'm really grateful that I have the kind of relationships with my team The people I report to, the people that report to me, my colleagues, that if something is a little out of whack, like kids get sick all the time, out of nowhere, (laughs) and you have an important meeting and you got to reschedule it or something has to happen that day, your team should be able to pick up for you. Life happens to everybody. Your team should be there when that happens and there should be redundancy, there should be backup, there should at least be competency that if they don't know exactly how to do it, like you would do it. They can do it their way and doing it their way is okay. So that's a little bit on the leader and a little bit on you, right? To let go of some of the control that someone might not do something the way that you would do it, but the trust that they've got it anyway. That's a daily thing to build that kind of team and to really have that bar set pretty high. We have a high bar for our team. And to be honest, if someone's not meeting that bar because life happens and we have to rely on each other, there's going to come a time where I have to ask for help because I just none of us can do it all. So I want to be able to rely on the people around me that when I need help, they've got it. And when they need help, I've got them. That's why we work in teams. That's why businesses are made up of a lot of people and not just one person. It's like the essence of a team. Sometimes we let that slip. And to me, that's a red flag that there's a weakness in the team and you can't let a weakness in the team fester or continue. Like that's stuff you have to address head on because circumstances are going to come up that you don't you can't anticipate. And that's the foundation that you need to be successful despite the circumstances that might come up.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if and, I answered and- your
1: question about work life balance, but it's like asking for help and having a great team goes a long way. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I mean, there was a good way to sum it up. Ultimately, it's just having a balanced mindset, I think, and understanding yeah. your own limitations and then utilizing yes. the talent that you've brought on board. I mean, they're there for yeah. a reason, right? No, I think that that sums it up well. And
1: Yeah. You- Knowing your limitations, I guess that's another thing. It takes some time to learn and be honest with yourself. Like we're, not all of us are good at everything. I am very bad for example, at scheduling meetings across different time zones, my brain just gets. (laughs) So I literally have to either have it up there, double check it, or sometimes I have to send a team's message, like just, Hey, can you just double check this? And they know I'm doing that because I'm really bad at it. And I don't want, that's just a stupid little thing that my brain just never does well. And then there's more things that I also know that I'm not as good at. So being honest about where your strengths are and where your strengths aren't so that you give that, you have that transparency.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd be curious to know too, just what advice you would have for aspiring sales leaders and what do you see as the biggest challenge facing uh, your own industry in the next two, one to three years?
1: Yeah. So, my biggest advice for sales leaders is to really focus on the purpose of why we're doing this work and be very, I I guess I would be very communicative and always tell the story of what our goal is. And the reason why I say that is there's a perception in sales that we are just all driven by money and by commissions and out here to make money, that we're individual, that we're individual contributors or that there's more individual contributors in sales than the rest of the organization. But sales is obviously the critical element of any organization. Every organization needs revenue to survive. If you're not growing, you're probably dying. So for such a critical role in in every business, sales can be so misunderstood. So I think it's really on an onus and especially the sales leaders to build those relationships and good relationships with the rest of the leadership team And to have values on your team and to focus on your sales culture and to ensure that sales culture and values matches the culture and values of your business and to hold your team accountable to that sales culture and those values. You're the engine of the, you're the growth engine of the business and sales really does set the tone for the rest of the business. It's too important to risk being misunderstood or to get into like a back and forth or any kind of like negative pattern with other groups like product or dev or marketing the whole business will grow and level up at the level that the sales culture does so that's something that i'm really passionate about because i've worked at organizations with pretty toxic sales cultures and i understand how it impacted the rest of the business and it was unfortunate because it hurt our growth only good things can come from collaboration between sales and product and sales and marketing. So I think definitely having sales leadership in place, that collaboration with those with departments is a value of theirs. And they demonstrate that to the team and the team exhibits that too. So that's one thing I would say. And then the other thing I would say is also in that vein to consider looking at folks who don't think of themselves as sales as being sales people or, or being in a sales role and try to recruit them into sales and get them to see that maybe how they could be effective. I don't buy into like only extroverts are good in sales or only a certain profile of a person is good in sales. You can be great and successful in sales, If you care about people, if you're smart, if you can be consultative and really figure out what their need is and what their goal is and walk backwards for how it aligns with your business's goal. That's how sales works today. So there's so many people that can be good at that. And we should really work to diversify our sales teams because our prospects and our customers are very diverse. And we should have someone on the sales team that can understand the different perspectives of the people we're talking to. So building a diverse, inclusive sales culture and working on collaboration across your business, I think are like the two biggest keys for growth.
0: Amazing. Now, You touched on just leading a balanced, productive culture as well within sales organizations. Because I know a lot of the companies we've worked with as a company, as an agency ourselves, and a lot of the people who... We'll be listening to this podcast. I've run into situations, instances where they've scaled fast perhaps, but there's been an element of maybe toxicity is the right word, not just within sales, but even cross collaboration between departments. It's a very timely point you made for any sales leader with any potential issues on the horizon. And I guess just finally, sorry, go ahead. I
1: was just saying winning at all costs and closing at all costs can only last so long.
0: And we'll be curious just to get your perspective on what you might foresee as being the biggest challenges facing uh, your industry in the next next few years?
1: Yeah, we're already starting to see some challenges in that. So for the industry that I work primarily in, which is the government contractor, the DOD defense space, there's changes in funding in that space. I think one of the challenges that anybody can relate to if you work in B2B sales, especially, which is that the sales decisions are becoming more and more spread across buying groups instead of centralized people, right? So it's becoming a much more intricate, complicated, time-consuming process to get a deal from start to close because there are so many checkpoints involved. For us, especially with cybersecurity and IT risks, our IT and cybersecurity colleagues are becoming more and more a part of the deal process. They're becoming a green light and a pretty extensive green light process to make sure that our solution fits all of the requirements and the changing policies within their business. And that's a lot of back and forth. It involves us pulling a lot of folks from our team earlier in the deal cycle than we normally would. It's just much more iterative, much more detailed, much more time consuming with many more people involved. So the buying committees are getting more stringent and they've got more people on them. So that's just more complicated. Necessarily, everyone has yeah. to protect their interests. Security and IT risks are, are a huge concern. And we understand that. And everybody's a part of it. If you have any kind of system that has any type of an integration or putting data into another system, which is like everything nowadays, <laughs> it could be risk. So I think you just have to, un- we have to understand where our prospects are coming from. It can be really frustrating and be like, oh, this is a pain. Oh, this takes so long, but why are they doing it? Where are they? coming from and just getting in there and getting in their shoes and understanding the nuances and sitting on the side of the table with them and trying to be creative about how we move that through to the extent that we can influence. That's what it takes. That's what it's taking more and more. And so that's a major challenge. And I just anticipate it's that's going to get harder, possibly more frustrating, but we love a challenge. So
0: <laughs> definitely appreciate your insight there. And thanks so much for uh, joining us on our podcast.
1: Thanks, John. I really appreciate the time and the space to um, talk about some things I'm passionate about, and you're doing great work. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. Bye.